Welcome to NFP, the Non-Fungible Podcast, with your host, D. Klein. Hey, this is the Non-Fungible Podcast, NFP with D. Klein. Now, you can find this podcast and you can dive deeper into blockchain trends on Cointelegraph Magazine. Just go to www.cointelegraph.com magazine. Today, my guest is a 22-year-old space engineering dropout. She's the founder of Digital Axe, the first digital fashion NFT protocol and marketplace for gaming and esports. Emma Jane McKinnon Lee. So welcome. Thanks for being here. Ah, thank you for having me, Darren. Yeah, this is uh, really cool. I was looking into uh, your uh, Digital Axe platform. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, um, it's a bit of a mouthful, but yeah, it's Digital Axe. <laughs> and uh, can you talk to me about? What what digital acts is uh, what you're what you're getting at here? What's the project? Sure. Um, yeah. So it's it's something very unique and interesting. But to kind of encapsulate it first in a in a few words, and then I'll, I'll break it down. Um, really, we're building Web three infrastructure for um, both creating the foundations for the digital fashion industry, and um, also the metaverse and what that kind of actually looks like to be able to um, build out the different components and different parts of the ecosystem so that um, designers, creators, players, developers, modders, which is really um, kind of what we think about when we think, okay, what does um, the metaverse encompass or what are the stakeholders part of the metaverse um, and also the digital fashion industry? How can they participate in this um, economy or this ecosystem. So DigitalX is something that I started um, in September last year. And um, my background, I mean, I've been in crypto for a number of years, but really very much from the financial perspective and then also um, from a technological perspective. So my, my background's also engineering um, and I worked closely with the Dubai government um, throughout 2019 and 2020 to um, implement blockchain solutions into the industry and, and look at what does this look like from a whole regional scale and how can you do this in a way that promotes sustainability and, and um, job growth for the region because they have a lot of kind of challenges there with um, how do they actually sustain their expat population and what does that look like um, and blockchain is kind of one of the, the bigger technologies that see a solution. So, that's my background um, and last year I became a lot more interested in gaming and kind of looking at okay what is this idea of an immersive digital reality and, and the metaverse and um, within that the subset of digital fashion because I saw it as this amazing industry that is so inevitable. Um, digital fashion is so intrinsic in terms of kind of human nature and, and what we interact with on, on a day-to-day -day basis both um, yeah, from the identity perspective and how we kind of shape and form that and then also functionality as well and, and kind of just um, something that, that every single one of us, um, yeah, just uses um, on a day-to-day -day basis and um, whether that be from kind of a more functional perspective of, you know, maybe keeping us warm or, or um, other kind of certain things in that area but yeah very much again from that identity perspective as well so um, I looked at kind of the conver convergence of um, becoming a, you know a very digitally ubiquitous society um, even more so than we are now then um, it became inevitable that digital fashion would be a absolutely huge um, industry within that and something that we'd really depend on and so Digitalix was formed out of that and it was looking at well how do you do this the web3 native way so what does it look like was kind of explaining before um, for building that infrastructure so that designers can plug in they can start making a sustainable livelihood and career because um, before then the industry was very much focused on just a cosmetic web 2 marketing agency uh, not really looking at how do you build out the tools and resources so um, yeah digital X is really looking at how do we use nfts how do we use native crypto incentive mechanisms um, to be able to do this the right way and really build out a, a whole decentralized ecosystem. Wow. So, I mean, I'm looking at you, 22 years old, space engineering. So you go into, where did you study space engineering? Um, yeah, so I'm from Australia, so Sydney University. Okay. So you're, you're what, 18, 19 years old, heading I into university? Started, yeah, exactly. 
and you're in space engineering and you also say that you were in crypto probably around that same time then yeah so i mean exactly i've always had my personality i mean to kind of give you a bit more background about myself i've always loved um the tech side of things i've always mm -hmm. loved kind of the entrepreneurial side of um like inventing and, and coming up with new and, and interesting ideas and seeing okay how can i implement those um and and what would that actually look like if it was carried out i remember when i was five actually i kind of wrote my first book and mm, um mm -hmm. was a bit of a hustler of, of trying to sell it and, and <laughs> had all that kind of background um and so when i buying candy with your profits or something yeah yeah these kind of things right so when i was um 16 or 15 and 16 is when I was really actually first came across crypto and, and uh -huh. became very interested in it. But it wasn't until I was about 18 um, that really, I guess, m related to the values of what Web3 stands for for the future and um, kind of the movement of it itself and became really excited by that. Um, and then it was when I was kind of, it was when I was 19, actually, 1920, when um, I was like, well, I can either sit here in my space engineering course and <laughs> kind of carry through and, and get this certificate of like a framework of what society values as good or something acceptable, or I can um, follow kind of quote unquote my, my dream and, and be like, well, I'm actually going to drop out and, and go full in into an industry and a um, whatever we want to call it, a, a group kind of in a community that I, I really believe in and I think that I can um, build within and also kind of do my part of what it means to kind of contribute to the future of this and make sure that we do get to these milestones that we keep saying, you know, okay, we'll a fully decentralized society. What does that look like and what are the benefits there? Um, and so, yeah, decided to drop out halfway through and kind of just risk everything and go completely all in. So, yeah, that's what I did. Wow. So, I mean, you, I mean, I just think about being a student myself and I think about kind of that moment of, okay, you know, making that kind of decision, you know, a pretty fearful kind of leap of faith, so to speak. I mean, how long was it that you were coming up with this concept of digital acts before you made that move or was digital acts after you're, you're, you left the scene, the university or? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was very much after. I mean, okay. to start with, actually, how I kind of went into um, all of this was actually from the financial side. Okay. So I was part of a um, cryptocurrency hedge fund, mm, and mm -hmm. we were the first tail risk hedge fund or black swan hedging, in a sense, quote unquote, hedge fund for um, our crypto markets. So I actually traded Bitcoin options um, mm -hmm. on Deribit. And we were located out of Sydney and also Dubai. And I was lucky enough to actually, I mean, I was a co-founder of the fund itself and worked um, very closely with um, Bruno Ixel. So he is a former, he's known as the JP Morgan London whale and a former really big trader um, that actually hedged JP Morgan against their kind of their entire balance sheet against the um, global financial crisis. Hmm. Um, so he very much was all about um, tail risk hedging and how do you actually set up strategies and contracts and trades to um yeah guess go against a lot of that can or capture that convexity in the market so it's not so much about earning profits on a day-to-day -day basis actually usually you bleed um in a normal market kind of basis when there's just small um, movements in the price but it's when you get this huge convexity or asymmetric convexity um either upwards or downwards that's where you earn most of your profit and those black swan events um one event actually happened it was last year um in march That's when right. there was the whole pandemic and i'm sure you remember all the kind of markets going mm -hmm. absolutely haywire um but yet yeah, in a very interesting approach to um the markets and that's really was my first um full all in into crypto um and something very interesting in itself which is a whole nother story i would say <laughs> Go for it. We got time. Uh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, I guess um, it, it would be interesting to a lot of people in the space. And I can say myself is I'm not a day trader. Um, and this is the interesting thing about being a founder in crypto and, and Web3 is that um, it's so more uh, kind of complex in some way than 
typical Web2 founders and in startups as well because not only are you kind of building out your product and you know trying to refine this and um, you know grow market share or grow kind of adoption but you're also dealing with the entire volatility of the crypto market and like mm -hmm. how do you kind of hedge your treasury um, and from even a security point of view and the security risk there and you're dealing with cryptocurrency wallets and multi-sigs and all of this is how do you actually um, hedge or just sustain your treasury against the market volatility and, and how do you yeah, sustainably exist within the crypto market as well, which is um, very, can be a challenge, I would say. And it's like yeah. you, you, <laughs> you were mentioning um, before as well. I mean, the whole market for the past few days has been a bit ugly. It's not nice <laughs> to go on coin market cap and see all those red candles. Um, nope, and this is something <laughs> that um, a lot of Web2 founders, they don't have to really look at because you're dealing mostly in fiat. And it's kind of like, okay, I know there's different market cycles, um, but the impact isn't as kind of at the forefront than when you have, say, a whole treasury or that in crypto, or that's really the, the native currencies that you're, you're dealing with. Um, and especially as well when you have your own token launched, and, and that's very much what we have at DataTelex too. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess my background with kind of the hedge fund side has been something really unique and extremely beneficial to all of this. And um, as I was saying, the, the hedge fund I was part of, it wasn't about day trading, like how do you just earn profits on a day-to-day -day basis or every couple of days or even swing trading in itself. But it was focused on a very specific and highly niche subset, which is known as tail risk hedging um, or kind of black swan hedging. So black mm -hmm. swan events, these are known as events that are kind of very rare. Um, they happen maybe once every decade in or so in like larger market movements. Um, you can think of one event as, you know, the global financial crisis. You can think right. of another event as last year. Um, the pandemic can kind they of- They seem to happen pretty regularly on a decade by decade basis though. Yes, but exactly. Yeah. And this is the interesting thing is that um, the whole kind of concept and um, tail risk hedging or just black swan events per se were really pioneered by Nassim Taleb. And he um, is kind of a great thought leader in the space. And it's exactly what you point out. And the interesting thing there as well is they actually happen much more um, kind of commonly than, than what we expect in a mm. sense so we we think that they happen on a very rare basis but when you actually do the numbers and you break it down they're more common than um just kind of like you're saying okay well them happening every once in a while and this is the really interesting thing is that um it's not about as i was saying making profit on a day-to-day -day basis but usually the whole kind of when the market is just either you know trending upwards or has consistency or, or in a sideways pattern um you're actually losing money and or you're bleeding your books are bleeding right, right. um but it's when there's these huge convexities and that can be to the upside or the downside that's when if you set up the trade properly or your contracts properly um you're able to capture the kind of whole delta um, within that move and that's really what it's about it's how do you capture these large deltas and usually it's through options contracts that gives you the best kind of um, setup for that so right, right. Um, it's really about that and it's it's very rare there's only actually we were really the only proper tail risk hedge fund at the time this is like 2019 and, and 2020 in that and um, even in the fiat the traditional stock market there's only really one proper tail risk hedge fund and that's um, Mart Spitznagel's Universal Fund out of Florida and he has a 10 billion dollar fund and it was in the um, crash last year that he earned I think it was about 4,000 percent that Universal <laughs> earned on that fund just in that that one kind of day and and crash but you know wow. leading all the way up to that for like a number of years so yeah it's, it's a very interesting um, setup approach to trading um, it's, it gets more disciplined because you know it sounds, in a sense, okay, this is easy, just putting it on and then you wait, um, but it's all taking the approach of where you can't predict the market mm -hmm. and you set up and you wait for that convexity to come and then um, rebalancing kind of every day to make sure you're, yeah, you're optimized for that, which involves a lot of output of capital um, and uncertainty of like, okay, We'll just sit here and, and kind of um, see when it happens. But when it does happen, 
it, it's um, really impactful and it's the, the big losses and big wins that usually count. Um, right, in, right. You know, well, that's why a lot of the bigger traders, they don't mind bubbles at all. That's where they make all their money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bubbles I mean, are good. Yeah. <laughs> Not for it's retail traders, but they're great for the big traders. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and that's the thing is that I was really lucky to um, work closely with Bruno Ixall and he's a ex-JP Morgan um, trader. He was part of the, the CIO or the investment office there under Ina Drew um, and was really influential from um, yeah the early 2000s up until till 2012 when there was the whole London whale case, which was a big kind of um, not scan. I would say a kind of a scandal at J.P. Morgan and um, where they how do I say set up in a sense a big setup of being able to buy back a lot of their um, stock very cheaply. Mm -hmm. So it was all about really framing that there was a kind of malicious trade that went on where that lost the firm over $6 billion, which was kind of the largest loss in a firm's trading history. And Bruno Ixu was very much framed at the center of that. But um, it came out a lot later that there was a lot of smokes and mirrors around the case. And it really was about how the firm could buy back their stock um, under Jamie Dimon, um, yeah, very, very cheaply in a sense. So mm -hmm. he though hedged the whole balance sheets of JP Morgan during the um, global financial crisis and um, was very kind of integral to that. So he had a lot of interesting stories about how, you know, the, I guess the, the very interesting probably to, to crypto listeners is that the GFC, GFC itself was actually known to the regulators from as early as like 2002. So it wasn't something that just came out of, you know, the whim, 2007, 2008. Um, it was very much, you know, aware to the, I mean, Jamie, Do Jamie, Jamie Dimon, sorry, was having lunches with Barack Obama for like a whole year leading up to it. Um, it, it wasn't a crazy one-off event. I would I'd say that it was kind of planned and um, very aware of what were the steps that would kind of, how it would cascade and play out in society. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, all the more reason for, for Web3, right, and decentralization. Mm -hmm. So what do you think, I mean, in terms of, when you, when you mentioned JP Morgan, the first thing I think about is how they, you know, in the past have said things like, oh, Bitcoin's terrible, and then you to find out that they're buying it, things like that. Or, you know, mm. they've, you know, they've had a number of about faces in recent times where they've said, oh, yeah, no, Bitcoin, you know, you should attribute this much to uh, your portfolio. And then they'll say, no, no, it's gold. You know, how, what do you, how do you explain that? Sure. I, I think it's the, you know, age-old question of like, who bono, who, who benefits? Um, mm -hmm. And that's really what it is in a sense. It's, um, you know, why are they saying what they're saying? And then how is that benefiting them or mm -hmm. someone else behind the scenes that's directly in their circle or that they're kind of having to um, appease in some way? I mean, perfect example now is that if we just go back like three, four weeks ago even, Elon Musk was seen as like crypto <laughs> Twitter god, right? And everyone yeah. was like, he's leading the revolution out, you know, out of the, the current, um, yeah, blackness and, and dims of, of society and then um in the past few days even it's like they turn around and say well he turns around and says oh wait you know <laughs> tesla is seeing that um bitcoin and, and the mining situation is incredibly detrimental to the um sustainability and like of society like what their kind of their mission and stuff and environmentally friendliness and um that in itself is like it's if you have any common sense, it's like, well, come on, um, you've, you've known about this. I'm sure you did research <laughs> yeah. before. I don't think Elon Musk just realized now yeah. that it uses a lot of energy. <laughs> yes, exactly right. And I mean, there's even, again, oh, I've seen um, people retweeting tweets from like just back in March or whatever, where he's like quoting um, research papers being like, well, actually a lot of the Bitcoin mining is from renewable sources and right. people need to get their facts straight. And then it's like they turn around and... There's actually an interesting um, thread by Miko Matsumura on Twitter, and he's a kind of very um, invested Web3 open source maximalist. And he talks about it, which is something that, you know, I, I do relate to. And I think that it has a lot of grounds behind it that really um, it's not so much of a malicious sense in Elon Musk's case where he's trying to manipulate the market to be like, oh, you know, let me kind of get a, a few more billion dollars in, in profit because he's already the richest guy in the world. I don't think that that's going to have a big impact in his current situation. But 
it's more from the fact that his mission and drive is so much to we need to become a multi multi-planetary species and that is so important um, to our society that um, he's probably even looking at it now where it's like okay the current launches a month just aren't going to get us there on time we need to ramp up to like maybe even a couple hundred launches a month and the only way we can do that is through more investments and we need this much you know money in a sense to be able to do that this many billions and so it, it may even be something where it's with his buddies and it's like okay how do we drive the price down now to get better entry points and then know that it will kind of swing up again um, and getting them to kind of buy in at these lower prices of where we're seeing all these red candles and then the you know delta in a sense when that reaches the next high those profits will be directly taken and invested into um, SpaceX to be able to you know increasing it and meeting these launch targets and requirements which is something very interesting in itself and it's kind of like well is that the what he's kind of the, he gets for owning crypto Twitter being able mm. to manipulate the market and maybe it's not so much like Jamie Dimon and JP Morgan where um, the evidence suggests that it's more from a malicious sense of like who right. benefits from yeah a, basically exploiting like people's manipulate. vulnerabilities taking advantage yeah, of people exploiting and the extractive model i would say as well but it, it's in elon musk's case i guess not to excuse any behavior but it's like um yeah well maybe there's more weight to it and i do believe that he is someone that it's always about the bigger mission and maybe sacrificing smaller things along the way um in order to achieve that and for him I mean, his priority is um, to get everyone to Mars. So, yeah. But again, <laughs> I, don't know, I was pretty unimpressed <laughs> with his with his line of arguments. I, I was thinking to myself, you know what? I was considering getting a Tesla in the next year or two, but I don't think I will. I don't think yeah. I, after what happened there with him and the things he was saying, mm -hmm. I just think, you know what? I'll vote with my wallets. I'm not going to support it. Exactly. It's disappointing, you know, and I think that's where myself, um, I always kind of looked up to him as well. Of mm -hmm. like the what he's achieved and then seeing that it's kind of like uh oh, that's a shame like it really yeah. come on and then seeing as well like um yeah just the i would say the the um disappointment on my end in a sense is like you really don't then f like in terms of the way i look at it is like he doesn't fully appreciate or understand just how transformative and essential web3 is mm. to actually becoming a multi-planetary species it's like right, if you want right. to it's not just about going to mars it's about what do you actually put on mars what is mm. the society that you're building on there and if it's just a replica of what we have right now i'm not kind of too interested in it i'm like well really like well then what's the point because that doesn't seem very scalable it doesn't seem like it's really going to benefit people from like the ground roots yep. and so web3 is all about really transforming that and so that was kind of the the more of the disappointment where it was like well you're actually overlooking something incredibly essential and huge to this whole mission that you're pioneering and, and putting forth um so yeah, yeah i feel like he's used it's just a tool for him it's just a tool to mm. extract value from yeah from people yeah. who don't know better yeah yeah right so, like when you look at the whole dogecoin yeah. story right and mm. You know, I personally know people who are like, yeah, I'm going to buy Dogecoin. I'm like, guys, it's a joke. Don't, yep. you know, and I actually didn't have a problem with him on Saturday Night Live saying it's a hustle. You know, like that was it was funny and it was it's true. Like, mm. yeah, <laughs> you know, but exactly. yeah, for me, the bigger one was him talking about the environmental impact of Bitcoin. To me, that was like, come on, that's not authentic. You, he's known for a long time that it's yes. energy uh, is a high usage, you know exactly yeah so. so i mean it is that question it is like who benefits but um it's a shame isn't it it's yeah, like i think uh, so too yeah mm, yeah so what can we do <laughs> hopefully you know it's it is though it's not about just being like um and i mean that in a way of like what can we do of not like right well let's just throw our arms up in the air and be like no go with it but it's it's really like and myself even building in this space it's like well um i really think and this kind of just leads in, into another point that I feel like a lot of people are calling this, you know, it was a bubble, kind of these all-time highs of, of Ethereum right. and, and Bitcoin mm -hmm. and NFTs and, and kind of everything experienced there. But I don't really see it like that. I see it was more of a rush where actually now we're at a stage, people are starting to see that 
these current gatekeeper web two models where it is this extractive sense of like how do we control choke points and how do we just um, set up businesses or economies or communities in a way where it's like centralized controllers re retain the power and it's what they say goes. They're seeing mm -hmm. that, hold on, that's actually not, that's not right. And it shouldn't be like that because not only does that just provide such a narrowed opportunity and um, just everything kind of being like a certificate on paper to um, be able to achieve something, generate value, um, yeah, even just kind of complete activities in a commercial sense as well when, when you really think about the, the challenges there, that this gatekeeper model is so old world. Mm -hmm. And the new world is really about the ideas of um, decentralization and what Web3 actually encompasses, which is more of that open protocol. And again, it's not about removing all walls because that wouldn't work for a society, but it is very much about giving people better opportunities, miniaturizing these walls, having kind of dynamic access keys to uh, a lot of um, opportunities, activities, ability to generate value without consent and kind of, um, I guess, how do I say, centralized consent and control from other people. Um, and I think that that's a really, um, yeah, important thing that's being built out here. And when we think about the current rush, I think that it was a lot of people I know that I spoke to that in November last year when I spoke to them, they had no idea about NFTs or Web3 mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. what that is. And it's just them now seeing and being able to see it more because it's not just from this like scary DeFi sense, but it's more like NFTs allowing that creator economy to, to benefit um, that, okay, I can actually earn a living or um, you know, carry out my passion without having that gatekeeper telling me yes or no, which is, is something super important from that sense as well. So I think that we're kind of at a whole new stage, but we're at a really fragile stage still where it's like a lot of the applications and, and even protocols and companies, whatever you want to call it, being spun up in this space. They're not actually authentic to Web3. It's more like a Web2 with a Web3 surface coding. So basically piggybacking onto it. Piggybacking, exactly. Or they're saying, you know, like, um, well, we believe in Web3 and, and we think it's, you know, really great for the future, but then actually walking the path of that is so different because Web3, again, it's not about centralized control. It's not about gatekeeper models. And so if you really think about that, then VCs backing or buying, you know, large chunks of kind of equity or, or token in some of these projects and then holding that and having like a vesting period. Well, that's kind of like a Web2 model, isn't it? Doesn't, mm -hmm. doesn't really make sense to having a fully decentralized protocol where it's like, well, anyone can buy in and anyone can kind of support what that is. Um, so I really think that we're at kind of that fragile stage where a lot of people need to step up more with the responsibility that they have to be authentic to what they're saying Web3 is and what the version of Web3 that they keep preaching that they support. Right. Um, so, right. yeah. Well, because we're still in that, you know, fiat, everybody wants to get back into fiat at some point, mm -hmm. right? Exactly, so, yeah. So that's a big problem. So then when China says, hey, you know, you can't do transactions from crypto to banks, people freak out. But, you know, if you look further into the future, you're talking about Web3, who needs to cash out, right? Like it, it, eventually you get to a point where you're like, wait a minute, I could provide a service in exchange for crypto and I can then use that crypto to buy a service or a good. And I never enter back into fiat, right? I mean, we're not there now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that will come in time. And that's where it is unstoppable. In my feeling. I was even thinking that the other day, there's... um. What isn't there that region or something? I don't know if it's in Estonia or something, but it's like Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lieberland they, or something like that, Lieberland. I think it's called. Yeah, it's something this little like patch that. of land. Yeah, yeah that they That's right. that Bitcoin. <laughs> yes. I was actually thinking that the other day. I was like, hmm, I wonder if they were like pricing everything, sorry, in like Bitcoin. And it was like. Satoshi's or, or whatever. Yeah, Satoshi's or whatever. Or it was like they're actually having like USD that they're referencing everything off because it would be interesting like how they're actually valuing that to know the volatility in the, the past few months. It's like totally, you know, it's a yeah. piece of like bread there. Yeah, it's <laughs> it like, okay, like that's 10 piece. Satoshis, please. And the yeah. next day it's 20. And... Yeah, exactly. Or is it like staying at 10 Satoshis the whole time? Well, that it's kind of like what, you know, getting yeah. back into NFTs, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, I, I'm an artist. I don't know if you knew that. Ah, um, okay. Very interesting. No, I didn't. 
Okay, yeah. so I I create well NFT art on uh, mm -hmm. a number of platforms, and uh, I I have stuff that like I just was promoting today from my known origin where I when I first listed it at point two five Ethereum, well that was like uh, what would that have been seven hundred and fifty dollars? Yeah, something like that. And now yeah. it's four hundred and something for the same piece, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, should I change these prices? No, I'm leaving them in Ethereum, right? Mm -hmm. Like. Because the reality is that's what people are trading in the majority of the time. And I, I kind of, I'm of the belief that we will get to a point where we're not thinking about fiat anymore. I think that will happen. Maybe not in my lifetime. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> I that the know. next stage is like the central bank kind of backed cryptocurrency or digital currencies in a sense like CBDCs. And that's mm -hmm. something that I do see will happen within the next three to five years i think yeah that's of, shorter term for sure yeah, yeah definitely but then like you're saying the real authenticity of crypto and what it represents i still think that um we've got to get through certain technological ux onboarding mm -hmm. stages because even if we look at now i know you know it's like if you are someone new coming into this market it's incredibly like um daunting in a sense to be like set up a metamask wallet it is and yep. then take those private keys and if you lose them like that's it it takes it takes it's people gone, time yep. to like for that really to sink in it even takes them you know sometimes a couple of wallets down the line mm -hmm. to be like right so it's really it's really you know your, your keys um if you don't own your keys what is it you don't own your crypto um, yeah well so, it's kind of like if yeah. you kept like say a chunk of gold in a, hidden away in your house somewhere and then mm. you forgot where it was it's gone like exactly <laughs> it's gone yeah. yeah and i mean that's the interesting thing as well when we think about these hybrid platforms like say coinbase and that where they're providing wallet solutions but it's the custody itself isn't really um you know it, it's still centrally controlled by them yep. um it's an interesting you know it's interesting to look at because i've heard it's great in one sense just for how it's able to move the space forward much more quickly and people can kind of have a bit more of a seamless onboarding and, and user experience into crypto. But it's also scary because they kind of become predatory in the sense, yeah. I know I've heard really bad stories where it's like people have accidentally sent the wrong funds. You know how mm -hmm. like these centralized providers where it's like, okay, this is your USDT, say Binance address. And if you accidentally send Ethereum or you know some other ERC twenty to that, especially if the platform doesn't support that, then it's like it's gone. It's, it's the gone. same yep. thing of like just sending it into a black hole, and that itself they can actually like they can open the contract and release those funds back to the person, but they become predatory. And I've heard horror stories where there's even um, someone I know back in 2017 they accidentally sent Holo token um, to their Coinbase USDT wallet and Coinbase doesn't support Holotoken. So it's been sitting there still now for over four years. And it's something <laughs> like $800,000 that it's oh. worth now. And it's just sitting there in the contract and Coinbase wow. will not, their customer support is so terrible. They will not even acknowledge it. They and could, was, if they, yeah, they, they could, could, right? right? They, they could, it's oh, nothing man. from a security or technological point of view. It's just them kind of supporting it, just going in with the, and unlocking the contract, writing to the contract, a transaction to actually send those funds back to. Um, so what good reason do they have for not doing that? To me, it would it's, be good it's, customer it's service. A, it's again, this it is be... like, exactly. And it's the whole thing of centralized providers being able to have the authority to just say yes or no based on their own whim and not have to provide a proper validated reason for that. And that's kind of what I'm saying about this whole Web 2 in Web 3 surface coding. They might be providing Web 3 services in a sense or access to Web 3 services and points. But when you actually look at it, the way that they operate and the authenticity to decentralization, being an open protocol, um, really supporting, um, you know, people being able to have, um, you know, generative and, and kind of, how do I say, like a more circulatory access and, and, and nature and opportunity mm -hmm. to web3 it, it really isn't like that it's still an extractive model where it's like they control the choke points and so whatever they say goes and they don't have to provide validation or, or reasoning behind that um so yeah it's 
it's kind of Wouldn't you say it's almost scary. like they're kind of like just trying to make hay while the sun sunshine, so to speak? Like, because realistically, like I I use things like Uniswap now. I use things that are just decentralized peer to peer trading. Um, you know, eventually, a centralized exchange is gonna be a, a dinosaur. I feel like. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree, and I mean even um, myself and Digitalxnet, we're we're only on dexes and. That is something that um, I maintained for the fact mm -hmm. that I really don't believe in centralized exchanges anymore. I don't believe in the values. I don't, all of them, I don't really, um, you know, it's not to say that we would never list on one because I wouldn't cut so short right, on that, course. but, but mm -hmm. it is really um, all of the decisions so far to reject in a sense and not be listed on them despite having the opportunity to. Um, it's been from the point of view of knowing that the values of what centralized exchanges stand for aren't actually the values of what I'm trying to build here. Right. Um, they don't align with that. And it, again, it's not about replacing the old gatekeepers with new gatekeepers. It's about <laughs> completely obliterating them in a sense. Right. Um, so That's what crypto is all about. Exactly. Exactly. And it, it comes back to that whole point of like authenticity and and when we see these, you know, different blockchains, and again, I don't know how you feel kind of about the um, Ethereum and its scalability and kind of the gas transaction fees there. And I think layer system. two is going to alleviate a lot of that. Problem. Yes. And, and I mean, we're yeah. Digitalx, we're actually, we're on Matic Network. Right. I was seeing that. February. And um, that was, a, you know, definitely from the belief that I really believe that Ethereum is one of the most authentic Mm -hmm. blockchains out there when it comes to the developer community when it comes to again being true to like decentralized web3 principles and when we see other blockchains like for example flow spin up and um it's really a web2 it's a very much it's a web2 web formula you're it's right it's a web2 formula because it's got it the vcs yeah. behind it. it's very much about how do we bring in the big commercial names mm -hmm, to just mm -hmm. build on blockchain or um use this technology but it's not actually supporting what web3 is about i mean they talk sure. about that they're all about it but they don't actually want to well and they may have the intention to eventually get there like if you look at something like say like yeah. ripple and xrp you know there will be people who will say well over time it's getting decentralized and i'm like uh it's heavily centralized you know mm -hmm. like but, that, but that's the you know, thing but yeah. over the course of time maybe it does get more decentralized right and i agree with you i mean i think progressive decentralization is mm -hmm um it's super important i mean even as data telex is a protocol we are progressively decentralized sure you have to right i mean you, otherwise you it'd be total to. chaos right exactly i mean you you want to operate in an open bazaar in a sense but you can't be so um going i guess from the start you have to have some parameters around mm -hmm. how certain things work and and get even the protocol the the business the the commercial sense of it to a way that it actually can sustain and operate in a decentralized commercial environment and maintain you know it, it can't just be like okay let's be a free-for-all to start <laughs> with which again what decentralization isn't about being a free-for-all but if especially at early stages especially when ideas are more fragile and teams are being built out um it is about having that progressiveness there and that's super important and i'm a hundred percent i'm a supporter of that because i know as a founder you you can't just go all in it it's very rare unless you have i guess a lot of the tech there to support it um, it is about developing and from a community point of view as well, just getting to the stage where you can have that whole autonomy um, within mm -hmm, a decentralized mm -hmm. environment. But the, I guess the interesting thing with some of these more Web2 provided solutions at the moment, like Flow and that, it, it is looking at it from the sense, well, the way that it is set up now, um, it really doesn't support web3 much at all and i know but it's fast you know, it's it's fast <laughs> yeah exactly it's fast but um i think that the progressive decentralization for that i mean they've got to do a lot more yeah radicalization before it can really get i've never actually looked into the so, structure of flow is it a proof of stake or is it a delegated um, proof of stake probably I'm i guessing? think i i don't know as much itself but I, i'm pretty sure it's a proof of stake i don't okay. think yeah. it's delegated proof of stake. i'm pretty sure it is proof of stake okay but um yeah i'm talking more i guess about the token allocation itself and when you look oh, at okay that, yeah um it's really not like that when you look at stuff like that and you look about well, how they set up well this is the really interesting thing is that a lot of web 2 if you really look at like web 2 and a lot of the 
companies and projects, they set up the entry for an exit. Like they set up right, the sure. stock just to be able to get out in a few years down the, the line. Thinking, sure. Okay, I can. I've seen this with social tokens. I, I'm not going to name any names, but I've seen social tokens where someone puts out, you know, a million of a token for free. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then they say, oh, hey, you can buy this art with this token. And mm -hmm. then it gets a certain value on Uniswap. Let's say it's a dollar. Yeah. And then they dump, you know, uh, 500,000 yeah. of their own tokens and run away. Exactly. And, you know. So it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, that's the whole thing of like setting up for an exit. It's really what a lot of the Web2 model is built around again, because that's how you benefit. It, it's how do you pass on to someone else in a sense. Mm -hmm. But um, and that's when I see a lot of these like, quote unquote, Web3 projects coming in this space. That's literally what the same, again, the token allocation and structure is set for. It's set for them to be able to exit and benefit right. from that. And again, it's not about that that's putting well, that Well, that has been a way that, you know, commerce has been done for decades. I mean, exactly. So it's, it's not about putting that in a negative light because it's not about being a stoic and being like, hey, you know, just come in and give everything away. But I do believe that um, there's better ways that that could be done. Mm. And um, I guess the structure of it, it doesn't, again, it doesn't really make sense. If you're calling yourself an open protocol or like even like an open DAO in a sense, then the token allocation itself, it should be like a fair launch. And even to right. the Telex, um, you know, we launched, we had a 0% token allocation to the team. And we did that on purpose because it was like, well, it should be if we're really going to be getting to progressive decentralization, we allocate we allocated ten percent to the treasury for sustainability and being able to continue R and D and you know get to a stage where we we see the project um, can be sustainable and can have more like a community run sense to it and token like stakeholder run sense to it. Um, but if we were to go and kind of allocate like a large chunk, which is like and again I mean a large chunk to um, just the team then it would become concentrated and myself i wouldn't see that we would be fit for really building out the core infrastructure for the future of like digital fashion the metaverse which is really what we're focused on because mm -hmm. um that doesn't make sense to have like a core team be really concentrated from a token allocation perspective at least to start with again it's not saying like i said about being a stoic and that you shouldn't believe in your project that you shouldn't hold the token and think that this is going to go up in value because of course it doesn't make sense to think okay well this should just stagnate or degrade over time like that's silly as well but it is just from the perspective of seeing that um, the way that it's launched or the structure it should be looking from a web 3 point of view not from a web 2 point of view that you're purely building this for an exit um, and just like generate liquidity and then um like you mentioned with the social token point of view pump <laughs> that into the market and then um let someone else kind of take over it really should be looking for the the long-term perspective of and i think particularly at this stage being a builder of okay you actually do have responsibility to do this the right way and and be a real um dao in a sense or be a real um authentic Web3 build it, yeah. In, in so is digital acts working towards a, a, a DAO kind of structure for governance? Eventually? Yeah, definitely. So our token itself, um, eventually it will, it has like governance to it and eventually it will be that when you mm -hmm. are, if you're a holder of the token, it's about being able to vote on the future of the protocol and have an actual active stake in the ecosystem itself. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, when we think about that, well, really operating as a decentralized autonomous organization, then the decentralized part is incredibly important. And it's not just about coming in with say, a VC money and setting up, okay, now that we have liquidity, um, we're a DAO, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? It's much more than that, yeah. <laughs> Hey, I want to ask you, though, just kind of looking at all this stuff on Digital Axe, and there's some really cool stuff on the marketplace where you have um, some fashion design stuff from some studios. Um, mm. I'm looking at the one page that's uh, the basically it says marketplace. It's the marketplace for Digital Axe. And right. you have some works here like the Golden Spiral and Elimination. And these were recently uh, yeah. sold. 
Um, where are these selling on exactly? Like where are these being bought and sold? Is it just right here on this marketplace here where I'm looking right now? Good question. Yeah, so we actually have we have three marketplaces for Digital X. Um, okay. The one that you're on now, Marketplace for Digital X at XYZ, that one was our like Genesis marketplace. Mm -hmm. And this was on Ethereum. Um, and how we started was really looking at the cosmetic side of digital fashion uh, NFTs. Because um, when I started last year in September, not only had no one heard of digital fashion, but um, <laughs> the current state of the digital fashion industry, it was really just about, okay, designers creating cool 3D fashion to be used as advertising purposes by agencies. Um, so right. Nike would kind of contract them and say, hey, make a 3D model of our jacket and then we'll use this in one of our campaigns um, because we can do cooler stuff with it or it's more resourceful. Um, and digital fashion is a huge kind of sustainability background as well of how do you reduce waste within the fashion industry mm -hmm. um, and how do you use 3D tools to prototype um, and rapidly prototype rather than like waste materials and fabrics. Right, um, of course. So it was kind mm -hmm. of more that sense, but I really came, in it, came into it from the perspective of, well, if digital fashion is going to be inevitable and, and this idea of the metaverse really is going to play out, then um, there has to be a way that you can actually build the in industry so that designers can come in and they can create a sustainable livelihood for themselves and drive the um, you know, cosmetic side of their designs to application utility, which is really in-game kind of functionality or in-immersive environment functionality. Mm -hmm. And so we started with this first marketplace that you're looking at, which was um, really more from the cosmetic perspective, like I was saying, just how do you build out a supply chain of digital fashion? How do you back value behind that? And um, this was on Ethereum, the marketplace, and, and how we did this is we launched with a series of auctions and kind of instant buys um, where we partnered with independent designers globally located from Africa to the US, to Europe, to Australia. We created cool 3D fashion, but we did some really interesting things where we listed these as ERC721 NFTs. Mm -hmm. But um, we also used the ERC998 variant to um, call well, sorry, not core, but to deploy what I kind of coined fractional garment ownership. So um, how this works along the supply chain is that designers and artists could actually contribute ERC-1155 patterns and material and textures that were minted on-chain as ERC-1155s um, into our open source libraries. And then other designers could come and take these NFTs and then use them within their master garment ERC-721 token. Um, and because of the kind of on-chain tracking, then at the last point of sale, there was this whole royalty distribution and split from a very modular level of who contributed to the different patterns, materials, and textures as part of this design, and then also the construction of the master 3D model, um, and then have that kind of modular royalty and licensing distribution, which is really what I see the future of the supply chain of digital fashion mm -hmm. being very much open source, and creators being able to um, I guess, generate value from even the smallest components of a design and have that composability. So it was really focused on that side and we implemented that and we had some really cool auctions as part of that and, and worked with artists in the crypto space as well as digital fashion designers. Um, and Digital X did a lot of the rendering and the animation side because we're very much a design house as well. We're not kind of like super rare or um, these, you know, open sea in that where it's kind of like designers just come and list. We really um, very much design house in, in collaborating with the designers and, and um, generating the, the animation, the rendering side and supporting them with that. And um, what we also did with this marketplace was incorporate DeFi functionalities mm. where people, when they, they bought these NFTs, they could actually stake them on our platform and then um, earn Monotoken or have Monotoken distributed to them, which is our, our native token. So that was the first marketplace that we set up. But then, um, the biggest stage of building out the ecosystem of Digital X was all about the application utility and how do you get to that. And this is where we set up the second stage of our marketplace in February, which is actually on Matic Network um, or Polygon, um, kind of if you want to call it that as right. well. Yeah, everybody and still says Matic or Polygon. Yeah, Matic or Polygon. It's going to take so a good year or so before everybody <laughs> yeah. just says Polygon. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so um, we set up on there. And really what this stage of the marketplace was or what this form was, it was um, it's skins.digitalx.xyz and all of their skins on there, they actually have in-game functionality and usage and application to our very own indie and modded esports platform that we actually set up. So it mm -hmm. allows players to come onto this marketplace, purchase these skins and then take them directly 
into different um, modded and indie games that are under our kind of esports umbrella and they, they plug in technically to us and start playing in casual esports battles so anytime anywhere at their whim and actually earn mona token and earn a, an additional income stream and um, kind of livelihood from that so this whole idea of how do you um, play in a sense and actually earn a livelihood um, from or through play and um, that's really interesting because the whole setup of that is where there's the profit distribution from the sales of the marketplace from that goes towards the uh, digital fashion designers and that whole supply chain also the developers and modders that are actually putting up their content for um, access in a sense and players to go into and then also the players themselves that are able to go in play earn winning streaks get on the leaderboard um, and then level up from kind of amateur to pro and we're solving a whole lot of problems within that not just from the gaming industry itself and how do we give an additional utility um, well-defined use case and um, I guess income stream for developers for designers for players that within the gaming industry now very much live on like a whole whole like bunch of precarity of like where do I get my next paycheck where do I get my next meal because that industry itself is, is so exploitative it's it's crazy mm -hmm. um, so really about well, how do we create a web3 decentralized ecosystem where eventually when I, I talk about this idea of progressive decentralization within digital X it's the designers the developers that are players that are holding the token that are determining its future going forward and really having that active stake because that's very much a metaversal ecosystem that we're building out um, but doing it in a way that provides new sustainability and income streams um, through play and being able to have an active stake within that so that's very much the skins dot digital x or xyz and then mm -hmm. the the third one is drip um dot digital x or xyz and what this is targeted all about is how do you onboard people into crypto into web3 into the metaverse into nfts and what does that look like from a particularly creative point of view because um like we were talking about before it's very daunting coming into the space and you yep. can't expect people to just you know jump in overnight so for drip we actually this is a hybrid digital fashion uh, or sorry digital physical fashion nft line um, and collection and we actually accept fiat payments so um it's all about and we actually partnered with matic or polygon sorry as well for this campaign <laughs> i just slipped up again on the, the naming convention there sorry um but um yeah we accept fiat and it's all about really targeting more of the streetwear culture the fashion lovers out there that are, are operating within the completely web 2 environment but we're bridging them into web 3 where they're able to pay uh, fiat for some of these some of this collection this physical collection and when they do that there's actually an NFT minted on chain and they're able to have an inventory claim ticket to that NFT where they're able to generate then a um, cryptocurrency wallet on our marketplace through Arcane Network. And Arcane, their wallet solutions are kind of a hybrid where it's not just about this 24 character, uh, sorry, 24 character um, key, but rather you can kind of attach an email to that or a pin number. Okay, like a so cloud wallet like a, type uh, idea. Yeah, like a cloud hybrid wallet in a mm -hmm. sense. So it's more about bridging them and then they're able to get an NFT from this and also a bunch of kind of um, different benefits and value within our ESPA and DigitalX ecosystem to really bridge them on board and um, start understanding what is Web3 and how can it um, generate value for myself. So that's really the three marketplaces that we have running at the moment. And um, yeah, Holy, it's all that's about a lot to manage. Yeah, I mean, DigitalX is, we have, and there's more to that. I mean, we even... Just last week, actually, we launched the first um, in-depth immersive metaverse magazine. And mm. it's kind of like a, a modern whole earth catalog meets Nintendo Power. Um, and that's at digifizzy.xyz. And I encourage you to, to look at that. It's 90 pages of completely free content that we developed and engineered all in-house within a hustle within 10 days. Um, and I even designed majority of the pages myself. And it's wow. really cool. Mm. And um, it's all about highlighting top creators in the space, top voices, unseen creators, undervalued artists. How do we give them a platform to um, have a new distribution platform in a sense for their content and um, use it to bridge value to the old world in a sense of how can they digest what's going on within DeFi, crypto, NFTs, digital fashion, the metaverse, Web3, art, music, 
Um, so really giving that whole encompassing of what's going on in the space, um, but in a very different form that they can kind of gain interest with, they can digest, they can kind of relate to, and we'll be issuing a new release every month. And with that, wow. where um, we have kind of decentralized, unlockable content drops where creators create different content and they, we can kind of, you can purchase, um, yeah, different parts of content of the magazine through these NFT um, rarity bundles in a sense. So that also bleeds into drip and kind of how we're onboarding more people into the space. So we, we have a lot with that. So we have wow. a lot going on. So like a, for, for yeah. artists who are listening, because a lot of my listeners are crypto artists and myself, I am one as well. Mm -hmm. um, is there a way we can get involved in this? Yes, definitely. Um, so the first thing is, is, you know, join the DigitalX Discord, which you can do that by just going onto our um, DigitalX.xyz and then you see all the social medias and, and join that because we're really active in there. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, be active in there or reach out to us. You see like our team is kind of the moderator section and DM any of us um, and we'll be, we're very responsive on that and be able to get back to you. And um, that's the first stage. And then the second stage, if you are interested with Digifizzy and, and really being part of that, we're um, actually like curating the content for the next issue, which will be released mid of June. Um, and it's all about how do we highlight artists? How do we highlight their voice? How do we give them a new platform and through the, the content and lockable content drops as well? How can we, you know, give them a new distribution channel and prove out this whole new publishing model? Um, so if you are for that as well, again, either like reach out through our Discord or on digifizzy.xyz, which is where the, the magazine is hosted. Mm -hmm. um, we also have- Is this uh, on Twitter as well? Yeah, yeah, on Twitter, it's, it's all Let me type it in a minute. I'm sorry, my keyboard is so, really loud because it's a mechanical Oh, are you keyboard. saying sorry is Digifizzy has its own separate Twitter? Not yet, yeah. actually. Okay. Um, okay. It's under still DigitalX, but that's a good point. Um, we should set that up. But I would say the best way is, yeah, going through DigitalX or there's a Contact Us page on digifizzy.xyz and that's spelled D-I-G-I-F-I-Z-Z-Y dot X-Y-Z. Um, and that has so like I'm looking kind of here at, at digitalax underscore. Is that you or is that yes, a real, is that the real one? Yeah, that's All right, cute. I'm going to follow you. you right now. <laughs> ah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so do you that's actually, awesome. I'm curious, do you have your own Twitter handle? I couldn't find it. Yeah, I do. Um, it's Emma Jane and then it's 1313. So Emma I'm Jane. actually quite. <laughs> How was I supposed to that? find that? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of new to Twitter. I mean, I use it. I use it more now because I realize it's a really important platform for kind All of right, voice. I followed you. Yeah. Oh, yay! More clout. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure I follow you back um, as well. Woo. So yeah. <laughs> I'll just message you now so that you know it's me. Awesome. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of kind of like, you know, what I was actually told by someone who yeah, had no I idea just heard it go ding on your yes, side. Yes, <laughs> that was it. I was, I was told by someone, like this was in February, that they thought NFTs were like Twitter bots that stole uh, your data. Yeah, what? I know, how crazy. It's like, what the heck? But that's the like- That's a severe misunderstanding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a severe misunderstanding. Um, yeah, so, but I, I'm getting to like use Twitter more because I realize it's it's a good- Twitter's platform. where it's at when it comes to it's crypto that, and NFTs, exactly. honestly. Exactly, it's, yeah. it's where the action's at. Ah, there we go. I, I'm actually following you already. Oh, you are? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't even know. Uh, didn't even know. Oh, there you cool. go. Well, you know, it's, it's that clout, yeah. you know. Exactly. You have, have 4,964 followers. So that's like, I read somewhere where it's like only if you have more than like 1,000 followers, you're in the 97th percentile. What? Yeah. So I do have clout. You, you know what the, my biggest, my, my most proud moment is? MC what? Hammer follows me. Ah, <laughs> wow. When did that happen? We did the whole crypto. Uh, yeah, it was about two months ago. What I did is uh, <laughs> because of uh, NFP, um, yeah. he was, he was kind of getting into NFTs. And so I just shouted out to him. I was like, hey, you should come on my podcast. Yeah. Right. And he actually replied to me. He followed me and he says, oh, thanks, bro. You know, I'm actually not doing any podcasts right now. I'm like, oh, OK, but that was cool that you responded to me anyway. Yeah. So take care. Like, you know, to think that he actually took the time to reply to me was exactly. pretty wild, right? So, yeah, no, I saw a lot of that within the kind of, you know, the the height of like the past few months where it was like bigger names were like 
following all of these NFT artists, it, it's cool. I mean, that was like very cool to see. It's like, wow, it's, it's actually not just the crypto Twitter bubble in right. a sense. It's right. definitely more far reaching than that now. So, I mean, that's the great thing what I, I think um, with NFTs, like I was kind of mentioning before, it's like DeFi is very scary for a lot of people, mm -hmm. but it's like, well, art isn't. It's something- DeFi is hard to understand. Art is immediately understandable. Right? Yes, it's digestible, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think that that's why it's like when people say it's a bubble, I disagree because it's like once you go below the surface and you understand really the tech and the applications of NFTs and like what you can like use them for, um, it's like there can never be an oversupply. If it's done correctly, it's like the internet today. When someone posts a new website online, it's like we never think, ah, oh, another we website, forget another it. Another website. <laughs> you know what I mean? We never think that we're like, Oh, okay. It's just contributing to to like our information space out there, and so I, yeah. I believe it's the same thing that we'll get to with NFTs. It's just the growing pains, um, where everything will be built on that, and then it's like it's not so much of oversupply, but um, when we do it the right way, it's like okay, yeah, it's just part of the the ecosystem is expanding um, yeah, with yeah. the demand. So well, you have a lot of financial expertise. What do you think of the current situation with this huge crash we just saw? Um, it's hard. I think that a lot of it, you know, where we're at now, it's like a, a psychological. We're at like the, you know, very much the psychology of the market is down and that, that bleeds into fact. I mean, it eventually becomes fact. But how I see it is I do think there's a lot of different things going on behind the scenes of bigger players coming in and, you know, whether that's FUD or a bit of manipulation on the markets that they can manipulate and kind of control the price and, and drive it down. Um, I think that that is there and it's prevalent. I do think though that then, as I said, it, it's bled into a uh, wider market psychology mm -hmm. um, of people kind of getting scared or fearful of like, oh, okay, what's happening and what's going on. But I do think that, um, this is going to be short-lived. I don't think it's we're going into like a, a bear market because the fundamentals of where things are at are so different. Oh man, like when I look at Ethereum fundamentals, like yeah. there's so much going on there. Exactly. And even like EIP 1559 yeah. and, and all yeah. the great stuff there, Ethereum 2.0, I, I really think that it's a it's just a retrace, yeah. uh, a short recorrection. Re and when we think about as well, like over the summer, the pandemic, I mean, even in the US, a lot of the stuff is opening up. Um, right. I really think there's going to be like a metaversal NFT summer, just like there was the DeFi summer last year. Mm. And then that kind of, a lot of people thought, when's that gonna crash? When's that gonna crash? And it, it didn't really. I mean, it because it's actually, it's creating value for people. It's mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it was fulfilling a need. And I think that's just the same thing with cryptos. We, I mean, sorry, NFTs, we saw this first wave of like, art in a sense and people like just digesting that and now it's we're going to be seeing okay there's so much more there um and the projects and that are, i hope anyway are, are really going the authentic projects are really going to start um showing themselves more within the space and um that's going to kind of bring a lot more um yeah better sentiment to everything else and and i do think that um as we move more into the summer that there is going to be some great stuff coming because the, the fundamentals are really, really strong. So I'm excited yep. for it. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know what do you think of the uh, controversy with that with some of the miners, really, it's not in their mm. best interests to uh, yeah. to go ahead uh, with that transition. It's, it's interesting. Um, look, it's, yeah, it's a hard one because I do think, I mean, I think that the Ethereum core community, they're handling, handling it, sorry, the best that they can. And I know Vitalik's kind of openly spoken against the miners and their like um, ideas in a sense or outspokenness to like attack the network. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. But I think that the there's continuous upgrades mm -hmm. and um, a lot of those upgrades is about circumnavigating you know that so i don't know it, it's hard to say um and you know I, like i can't um just remove a black swan event from happening because that would just go against well everything. you could see a chain split you could yeah there could be you could see there a really fork could be. um 
but I think that the majority of the ecosystem, the community, they will be supportive of like EIP 1559 and, and you know, Ethereum 2.0 in a sense and the upgrades there right. because... Um, but if it doesn't get mined... Yeah, well, that's another interesting thing. Um, hmm, it's a hard one because... It is, yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, then what do we do? And, and is that something that then... But I, I do believe that something like that it's so like it's something that's not a concentrated problem in the sense that it's it, like it touches everyone in the ethereum community which is really like all of crypto as well because even a lot of us if we're not in that we're, we're like you said we're, we're transacting in ethereum to get to something else mm -hmm. um that that then feeds into a much bigger problem in itself is like well how the crypto community come together mm. to you know i guess um figure out what are the options and solutions to make sure that we can continue in the right direction moving forward. Um, so I think then it, yeah, it falls within that category in itself of like um, the bigger community and ecosystem really coming together to um, fight against this, which, which I do think that there's enough just, you know, authentic players mm -hmm. in Ethereum and the developer community that there will be a there will be a way where people even you know spin up different mining nodes that or, or support it um, because they really believe in in where it needs to get to so much. Yep, yep. Mm. I, I'm super bullish on Ethereum. I think of all of the blockchains out there, it's it's just got so many things going for it. And then you've got the layer two solutions, and you've got the EIP fifteen fifty nine upcoming. And yeah, yeah. I, I'm very positive on Ethereum. And, you know, I'm speaking honestly for myself here. I've been into crypto since 2016, around the same time as you. Yeah. Uh, Ethereum's the first one that I actually have used, mm. like, as opposed to just being something where I, like, invested in something. Yes. Where I physically used it, like, you know, for making art, in this case, NFTs. Mm. You know, prior exactly. to that, it was all just trading, which, I mean, okay, that has a use. But I mean, in terms of actually using the technology in a way beyond trading. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's the amazing thing, what I love about crypto it's the idea that you can like spin up programmable customized mm -hmm. incentive ecosystems and i think ethereum at the moment it is the ecosystem like you're suggesting that is the most mature for actual application and utility mm -hmm. of the token um uh, yeah and how well, and a lot of critics will say oh they're all just for speculation this is simply not true yeah it's not it's true not. it's like you exactly. say it's web 3.0 that's that's a huge thing yeah exactly it's, it's powering the network and it's how we push information through the network um yeah. and validate that so yeah that's that's really my view at the moment it's it's always hard to see like all the red candles and and like that bleeds <laughs> into like you said yeah. water market psychology but i think the fundamentals are really strong and we're finally at a stage where you know mass adoption isn't like just some buzzword it's something right. that can really happen of course there's still things that need to um be solved there's things that need to be enhanced and optimized and advanced but we are at a, a good enough stage to really get there and layer twos um just like reinforce that so much more yep for sure so i'm excited <laughs> yeah awesome hey wow it's been really great talking with you about this very uh, inspiring yeah no thank you Dan. It's, it's been fun uh, we've been like seems like all across the globe touching on like every topic so <laughs> that's good right <laughs> yeah for sure yeah well hey very exciting all the developments going on there with digital x and uh, i wish you all the best with that and um yeah stay in touch thank you so much thanks for having me for sure thank you take care bye bye thanks again for listening to the non-fungible podcast see you again soon